Hi, welcome to Season 2 of the Silverline Podcast, an audio version of our video streams that we hold weekly. They're edited a little bit to make them a little more concise. My name is Roland Mann. I'm the head honcho at Silverline, and we have a great time making fun comics that we think that you'll enjoy. So thank you for listening, and maybe go check out some of our comics if you haven't already. In this episode, Malibu Comics co-founder Tom Mason tells us why Marvel and DC are dead ends for comic book creators. Again, that's not really a title, but that's what you're getting. It originally aired March 30th, 2022. And here we are creating Beyond Calculation, Beyond Politics, Beyond the Big Two. Welcome, Silverliners, to the wondrous world of Wednesday Wham! Tonight we've got a special guest. Is everybody fired up for this? Yeah. Yes. Is that yeah. awesome? Yes. Uh, I can't wait to find out who it is. Run. I'm going <laughs> to count down to him. I'm going to count down to him here. We've got uh, we've got our usual loyal band here. We've got Barbara, the Empress of the Inks, Kaleberg. We've got Rob Davis, often called the Paragon of Pencils. We've got the Superior Skeptic, Aaron Humphreys. We've got both Wizards of Wordplay this week. Both of them, Rory One Boyle with more official hair than the other. Wait, but, indeed. <laughs> wow. Yeah. My yeah. goodness. It's a different look, man. It's a different look. And and last but not least, our special, special guest tonight, Tom Mason. Ladies and gentlemen, the founder Yay! of Malibu Comics, among Yay! other things, Yay! Ultraverse, all <laughs> things cool about comics in the early 90s. And let's not forget Dinosaurs. For hire, he's also my yes. first boss. That's... Yeah, your first boss. Yeah. Was he a good boss, Barb? Not to put you on the <laughs> well, spot. Him and him and Chris Alm and Dave Olberg, they were fantastic bosses. I have to say, yes, they were. That I've had a I've had a few rough patches in my career. <laughs> it, it hasn't always been friendly to female creators, but Malibu didn't give a damn. If I what I, I could have been purple. <laughs> and and a, 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 an alien species as as long as I could ink well, they didn't care. It was about talent. It was about excitement, enthusiasm, ideas, creativity, and the willingness to step out of the norms and do something more exciting. It was a time of image breaking away from the big two, and we're going to get to the big two a little bit later. But I want to start out by asking Tom about. Those glory days, the salad days of independent <laughs> comics taking off. And tell us just a little bit, you know, briefly about uh, how did Malibu Comics come to be? See, it's like it's like it's like asking me to, hey, hey, Tom, could you relive the big game? What was it like when you guys scored that touchdown? <laughs> that was so cool. <laughs> so, first of all, it was you and Chris um, and Dave Albrecht. Right, you guys were yeah, well, everything, the three amigos. Yeah, what everything, but it, there was really one amigo at the time, which was Dave. Okay, and okay. so uh, Dave and I had met. So I guess backtracking a little, I talked about this with Roland a couple of weeks ago. Is I had no desire to be in comic books. Like it wasn't my thing. Where I was, like I wasn't like some people who are like, oh, I got to work for Marvel, I got to work for DC, or I've got to be, you know, I love comics, I want to be in the industry. And it, it never even occurred to me. I got this job. I was working at Fantagraphics Books because they needed an art director at a time when I needed a job. And I had art directing experience, so I worked for Fantagraphics. And then I met Dave Obrich, who was hired to edit Amazing Heroes. And so we both met at Fantagraphics, and then Dave left, and he ended up getting a job 
um, at Sunrise Distribution, the comic book distributor in Southern California. And he approached Scott and said, I got an idea for this comic book company called Malibu Comics. Um, you know, I just, I got all, I got all the ideas. I just need money. And Scott said, well, I've got money and I have no ideas. And so, <laughs> um, so, so, so Dave was the guy, Dave came up with the name Malibu comics. Dave got the business plan out of Scott and set it up. And then Dave called me, which who was the only other guy that he really mm-hmm. knew in comics who knew how to make comic books and said, Hey, I'm doing this thing. Do you want to be, you know, do you want to work with me on a comic book company? And I, you know, well, hell yes, because I like working with Dave. Dave and I always got along. And, um, you know, if there's a guy that you, you're you going to sit around in an office with for, you know, eight or ten hours a day, you know, Dave is your guy. And so that's really the genesis of it is Dave just called me up and said, hey, you want to quit your job and come and work for my new job? And I, I was a, I was a kid. So it's like, you know, yeah, let's just <laughs> yeah of it. course. Right. Uh, it, it, <laughs> What's the landscape like at this time? Are we on the verge of image or are we has image happened yet? We're we're nineteen eighty six. Okay. So we're we are pre image. Okay. We're pre we're we're way pre image. We're we're mm-hmm. pre we're pre life yeah. basically. Yeah in terms yeah. of the industry. And right. we're we're post turtles. And okay. so you've got the turtles had come out and then everybody and their cousin who could draw some kind of funny <laughs> animal with a sword. Was publishing a, a turtles type of book, uh-huh, uh-huh. and so that I think that by June '87, when we launched the first Malibu Comics titles, the black and white industry had just collapsed. Okay, and so okay. there, there we were, and yeah. um, so right as right as the post turtles industry collapses, then Malibu starts up as yet another black and white publisher, and so gray washes. A gray yes, gray and, that's, and that's the thing too, because <laughs> nobody could afford color. So everybody's trying to figure out, you know, how to get tones. So there's gray and there's uh, the duotone people. And that's right. Yeah. Right, yes. Mm-hmm. And there's the mm-hmm. zipatone people. And you're trying to get, you know, anything you can do to sort of bring some sort of depth to the line art. Yeah. This is the first, this is the first book you guys hired before. You asked me if I could do gray washes, not inking, which is right. what I did but you asked me if I could do gray washes, and I lied through my teeth and okay. said, absolutely, I can. <laughs> Didn't even know what they were. <laughs> there's, a great, there's a great thing that all actors learn uh, throughout their careers, that when you go on an audition and the producer asks you, can you ride a horse? You always say yes. Mm-hmm. Because by the time you get hired and by the time you have to report to the set, you, you have enough it. time to go figure out how to ride a horse. That's exactly what I did. I got off the plane, went to the library, and checked out all the books I could on, on uh, right. color And Because there's no, there's no internet tutorial back then, and there's no, no. there's no Eisner chapter in his book that says, you know, here's how, here's how I beat Jules Pfeiffer into a gray-toning spirit. Yep. Well, conceptually, Tom, talk to us a little bit about what was the intention early on, other than we, we want to succeed, obviously, but when you were building a stable of, of titles, what were you thinking? You know, what was going through your minds so, at that point? So here's the thing you got to remember is is that Dave is a liar. And so... <laughs> it seems to run a thread here. <laughs> so Dave pitched the idea to me. He said, this will be great. What we'll do is we will have people package comics for us and we'll keep the staff really small. It'll just be like the two or three of us and comic books will just come in prepackaged 
and we'll put them out. Because we had this deal. Dave had found R.A. Jones, who we knew from Amazing Heroes, and R.A. and Bush Burcham had put together Dark Wolf at another publisher, and they were used to packaging their own stuff. So Dark Wolf was going to come in like pre-done. It was going to be, you know, penciled, inked, lettered, written. You just Mm -hmm. send it in. And uh, there was another guy that Dave had found, um, two guys, Dennis Pimple and Norm Dwyer, who had done Libby Ellis. And that was all done. It was all penciled, inked, lettered, ready to go. And so for the first couple of weeks, I was like, this is fantastic. This is the easiest thing to do in comics. All you have to do is people will send you proposals for their comics that are already done. You just read the finished comic book and see if it's something you want to put on the schedule. This will be, (laughs) it's a piece of cake. And then, sure. and then it turns out that there are not that many people in the world who can actually do that kind of thing, start to finish. And right. so then you have to, then you realize, well, well, crap, we know a lot of people who can write comics. We know a lot of people who can draw comics, but we don't know a lot of people who can just do a, a whole packaging thing. And right. so then we had to, then we went out and we started soliciting uh, pitches from people that we knew and, uh, started we we contacted the art institute of pittsburgh and we contacted um the art institute of chicago and just said you know if you have graduates who are looking for work we're taking we're looking at portfolios um and then we just started acting like actual comic book people where we started matching up writers writers would pitch us stuff we'd think oh this might work well for this person who was drawing and this you know but this person can't ink so we need to find an inker now we got to find three letterers. Now we got to find, you know, somebody who can color the covers. And now we got to find a logo designer. And so you're just, you know, before you know it, you've got a whole staff. You right. And you oh, had yeah. more than one line. It wasn't just Malibu comics. You had adventure comics. You had eternity. <laughs> well, I, listen, I don't know how deep you want to go in the envelope, but uh, <laughs> so it started out, there was Malibu comics. And that was the, that was the imprint that Dave and I, had that was dave's dream and then we found out that scott rosenberg the guy who financed malibu comics had financed all these other comics like off to the side like in secret so he had eternity comics in new york and he had amazing comics in west virginia and then because in those those great you know sort of post turtles days if you had a new number one from a new comic book company it actually sold better than a number one from an existing comic book company because everybody smelled that new turtle money that was coming in. And so Scott then set up Eternity to start another imprint called Imperial. And then he set up Amazing Comics to start up another imprint called Wonder. So Scott had four companies off to the side plus Malibu Comics. Well, all those other things crashed and burned. And so we absorbed the the imprint name that still had value, which was Eternity. So then the Malibu Comics name and really, is anybody following this? I can make a flowchart if you want. Uh, <laughs> and, for PowerPoints. And then, uh, and then, so it, the Eternity imprint became absorbed by Malibu Comics. And then, since the Eternity name had more power with retailers, and this is where the business gets silly, books with the Eternity name sold more by a factor of two, double, than titles with the Malibu <laughs> Comics name. So we dropped the Malibu Comics name put the eternity name on everything. And then we were, we were eternity for a long time. And then the corporate name was Malibu comics. 
Where did, where did adventure comics come in then? Oh, you now we're now we're just really deep into the hell. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, because I did a, so, I did eleven issues of, of Planet of the Apes the under style. adventure. Yeah, with Kent. And 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 by the way, hello other guys. I'm glad you're all here. Hello, um, Roland. <laughs> what's up, y'all? <laughs> we're having a blast. Reliving so, the glory days, man. So then I lied to Tom and told him I wouldn't be here, but I decided to show up. I know because because comics, as we as we know, comics full is just full of liars. Liars. <laughs> Ouch! So wow, wow. Let me remove so, that. It's, it's, but it but it's the hip version, so it's liars with a Z. <laughs> so there you go. That's much hip. That's how you know it's cool. So now I forget, I forget the order in which these happened because there was Adventure Comics and there was Aerosol Comics, but I'm sure some. Some smart inter, uh, internet person will uh, will weigh in and, and give me the dates, but the uh, so Adventure Comics Adventure Comics was founded by Steve Milo, who ran American Entertainment, which is a mail order company, and Milo had this dream that he was going to publish his own comics under the Adventure label, and then he was going to push them as being super hot comics through his American Entertainment mail order company. So he basically double dipped. Ah. Okay. And then, but when the in, when the industry started to crash, and Milo had to actually earn a living, to you know, because he was once, a liar. Well, once it was once it was easy, you know, when the money's easy and you don't have to do any work, then yeah. it's great. But when you have to start mingling with distributors and and running sure. a print a print ad campaign and working with you know the retailers and stuff like that, it becomes a lot of work. And Milo was Man, like, ah, I'm out of here. I don't want to do this anymore. And so. Uh, Steve Milo knew Scott Rosenberg. Milo said, listen, I'm getting out of the business. This is too much for me. Do you want to just take over the imprint? And okay. we're like, yeah, okay. And so, um, because again, Adventure Comics as an imprint still had uh, brand value. And because retailers still knew it, it was still on their order form, whatever. So we just took it. And it we liked the idea of having Adventure Comics because we realized we had that... Milo's inadvertent genius was he had poached uh, the uh, the trademark of D- from a DC Comics title because DC had let the Adventure Comics logo lapse. Ah, nice. So the, nice. the trademark was still available, and it amused me no end to, <laughs> to own a company called Adventure Comics that shared its name with a former DC title. So that was wow. Mine. So so liars and plagiarists. Wow. <laughs> right. That's right. If you're not, I, I think all of us who work in public domain comics can attest. If you're leaving the trademark laying around, yeah, oh yeah, it's going to get scooped up. It's yeah, a game. Someone's we need one more. Get... We're rebranding. That's right. Understand? Right. We started out talking about, you know, you were saying, well, you were not initially a comics guy. So where did tell us about where Dinosaurs for Hire came from? Because that's sort of the signature title that you're associated with. So yeah, the. Uh, so again, the uh, what used to happen is that Dave and Chris and I would sit around the office, and we had um, the, well the four of us, me, Chris, Dave, Scott. We'd sit around and we tried to figure out the schedule about six months to eight months in advance. And because uh, the beauty of of Scott's accounting is that he would tell you every month, this is how much money needs to come into this building in order for us to a pay all the creators pay the rent and pay the salaries. So if you want to basically, if you want to keep working, this is the number. And so we would sit around and we would try to figure out 
how many books that is that you can put on the schedule because the direct market allows you to sort of predict plus or minus a couple of thousand, how many, what, how, what your sales are going to be. And, and so we're sitting around one day and we're trying to figure out, we need a book for, let's just say July. And well, you know, we already got a book on this. We already have books from these people. We don't have other stuff coming in yet. We can put our, our feelers out to our friends or whatever, but it's going to take a while for a book to just sort of show up. And so I said, I had this script sitting around that I'd written for Jan Sternod's company. Uh, it was, it was uh, called Elvis Undercover. And it was about uh, big fat 1970s Elvis Presley uh, as a private detective. <laughs> And That's so, so it was, cool. That's so fantastic. Because it, what we had are found you hearing this, Roland? I have an idea. <laughs> take it, well, take what, it now. Just change what the font. We, what we found out is that um, you know there was a time during the Nixon administration where Richard Nixon had actually deputized Elvis Presley. Yep. Oh, there's yes. a there's a photo there's a photo online you can find it of the of Nixon shaking hands with Elvis and giving him like a sheriff's badge. Yeah. And, oh, and, that's so good. and my friend, my friend, Mike Valerio and I and Jan Sternod thought, damn, that's really funny. Well, <laughs> what, what would it be? Would it be cool if Elvis took that thing seriously and just started sure. going out on nights after after his concert and just started fighting crime? And so, <laughs> so, so cool. That's what would awesome. that what what the hell would that look like? And so I wrote a script and we got, I got like, like five or six. I got a I got a full <laughs> script. I got six or seven pages done by Don Lomax. Um, and it was all ready to go. There was a story written about it in the Los Angeles times. It was, it was good to go. And then Jan started thinking, yeah, maybe the Elvis people won't like this. <laughs> maybe, maybe the Elvis people will come after me. And so he sort of, he, he uh, well, I don't mean this in a negative way, but he chickened out. And, <laughs> and so he gave me, there, see <laughs> the king, the king. fantastic. And so, the yeah, uh, I, I should sue that guy. And so, the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, so I had this, I had the script, and I said to Dave, Well, I got a script just sitting here. And Dave said, Well, I don't, I don't want to do Elvis undercover either because I don't want the Elvis people coming after us. And so, he's Dave suggested, Why don't you just take out Elvis and put in something else? And I said, "Well, what can we put in there?" And he said, "I don't know. Make him a make him a dinosaur." And then <laughs> sort of that that light bulb goes off in my head, where it's like, "Wait, well, doesn't have to be one dinosaur? I bet it. I bet he's if he's three dinosaurs, that's even better." So oh, I yeah. I had like a weekend. I rewrote the script over a weekend and made Elvis Presley three dinosaurs, um, awesome with distinct personalities, where each one has sort of a little bit of like. Vegas Elvis versus good Elvis versus 1950s Elvis in their in their uh, DNA. And then we found a guy uh, that we liked named Brian Carson, who was like a, who was a really, really good guy. He was like a he's like a kid. I'm, you know, uh, 17, 18, 19 years old, but like really, really good, really talented. And um, he really liked the, the dinosaur idea. So he ran with it. And um, then we just got the book on the schedule as quickly as possible. And then I was, and by the way, hi everybody else. Um, <laughs> then I was, then I was just. Yeah, can you tell I've been in quarantine for like two and a half years? <laughs> um, yeah. So the uh, 
then I was stuck because I forgot, you know, comics are like an every month business and I didn't have a second script. (laughs) So it was, it was easy to convert one existing script into something else. It was a lot harder to realize, Oh, I, I got to do this now. So I sat down and I tried to learn how, and then I wrote, I wrote as often as I possibly could. And then I found out that it didn't matter if I was good or bad at it. I just really liked it. No, that's yeah. Well, the enthusiasm, yeah, that connects with people and being genuine. And I think the concept is just so fantastic that 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 just won everybody over. Because in that interview that that I shared with a few of us earlier, uh, you're talking about it, and it sounded like that thing was just, you know, it was a TV show. It was this. It was that. And uh, people loved it. uh, But I didn't. I didn't. I didn't really care about any of that other stuff. I mean, it's mm-hmm. great. I think I think everybody would like to see their thing turned into a TV show. Everyone would like sure. to see their thing turned into a movie or a toy or whatever. I'm not one of those people who is like, no, no, it's it's pure comics. You know, you can't you can't do this with that. It's like, nah, that's no, screw that. And so um, I would listen to that, but but I really only cared about the comic book. Yeah, like I was. Yeah. I was happy to let 20th Century Fox try to ruin it and turn it into a TV show. I was happy to let I was happy to let the studio try to make it into a movie with rubber suits and, and all sure. that. I didn't care because my deal was I just I really just care about the comics. Yes. I never I never saw myself except as a, a stupid person that I would parody. I never saw myself as like the big cigar smoking mogul with the fancy car and the house sure. in the Hollywood Hills. Going mm-hmm. and having people make my comics for me while I hung out on the movie set. It's yeah. like, nah. I like <laughs> no, no. I like sitting in my hovel, hunched <laughs> over my my computer, going, "What's the thing that pisses me off today, and how can I turn that into a comic?" Into a comic. Wait, wait. Take a note. How can I turn that into a comic? Because I think there's other people. I don't know. I don't know. Roland, Roland might be able to back me up on this, but when we were at Malibu Comics. And we were making comic books. The worst days were when the movie people would show up and want to tour the office. Because it's like, yeah, okay, you're making movies. Shut up. We're sitting here. (laughs) I got got comic books to get out the door by 4 o'clock because the FedEx guy is coming. And I don't have time to walk you through the stages of how Dean Zachary draws a hand in panel five. It's like, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't have time to explain to you how the computer coloring works. I don't have time to explain to you the different steps that are involved in putting out a comic book. I'm actually doing it. So yeah. Yeah. sit over in the corner and stare at me, but I don't have time for you. And so I don't have, or better yet, go that. make the movie. Go, yeah, make, go make the movie. movie. Yeah. 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 What I love and bring about back that. the check. And bring <laughs> check. Yeah. Exactly. Um, to which they always respond to checks in the mail. But <laughs> that being said, you know, what, what I hear when you say it that way is, you know, the enthusiasm was there for this industry, for the comic book itself, the creative process. You had to make the money. That goes without saying to pay yes. the bills, keep the lights on. But it was the enthusiasm for the content. And that brings me up to to where where I want to get to with the discussion, which is uh, my problem with today's content enthusiasm is there's too much agenda and there's too much politics and there's too much um, underlying messaging without the fun that Roland and I and, and 
Barb and the others talk about all the time, where's the fun? Where's the excitement? Where's this escapism that takes us to another place? I don't want to see anybody's political agenda uh, played out in pantomime on the page. I want to see something that takes me far away from all of that. What? So that setting the stage for you there, I just teed it up. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. Go Marvel in DC. Go Here's the it. thing though. It, to me, and again, we can we can fight this out all you want, sure. but to me, it's like saying, how come a Chevy isn't a fun car to drive? And so, you know, it's, it's, it's like, it, you know, why, why isn't this my grandfather's Oldsmobile? And so the... Uh, the thing but is, why are they doubling down? Why are they why are they doubling down? I mean, don't they see that this is not it, it's not what people want? Well, we're trying why, to show them that, you know. Why why doesn't Budweiser taste good? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the thing the, Deep the, thoughts. The, Deep the thing thoughts. is the thing is I think Roland and I talked about this uh, several days ago. It's the worrying about what Marvel and DC are doing is sort of a waste of time. Because it's the same reason about when I see when I hear kids who want to work for Marvel and DC, that to me is like saying, "Well, I want to work at the assembly line at Westinghouse." Because <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, why do you why do you dream of that? I get I get that Spider Man might be your favorite childhood superhero, or that you you dreamed of working on the Hulk, or that you have this Batman story you're dying to tell. But telling me that you want to work for Marvel and DC is really you're the third guy in the factory line at Westinghouse mm -hmm. and the washing machine comes down. You do what the supervisor says. You shoot the screws in the washing machine. It mm -hmm. looks the same as it does in every washing machine. And then it comes out. And then you say, why are these washing machines so square? <laughs> and then, you know, it's just, okay. What's, I mean, if that's, it, it, if, you know what happened, Tom, is it evolved here? Here's for me. Here's how it started for me was, you know, kid growing up, reading the stuff, loving this character, loving that character. Boy, I'd like to draw that one day. And then it was the nostalgic love of the childhood inspiration that made you want to work for him. Then that, when, when you get older and you find out about the assembly line, then it changed. It turned into what I like to call the McFarlane maneuver. Okay. It was get on a book that's got a high profile sell a bunch of copies, build your fan base, and then make up your own character, go and self-publish your own book, yes. and bring those fans with you, right? Yes. Now, those were those stages that I'm describing reflect the era in which those events occurred. Nowadays, you don't need that transitional move at all. You can go straight from nothing to doing the Todd McFarlane thing. But in those days... It was kind of, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it, that was kind of the maneuver for creators who wanted autonomy was you had to go through the gatekeepers to get your fan base created. So then you could move that fan base to your stuff. Well, there, Is that not true? There are still guys that do that. There are still people who dabble, who come on and they'll do a four-issue miniseries or a six-issue miniseries or a 12-issue series for Marvel or DC Mm -hmm. And then go back and do their creator-own book, and then come back to Marvel and DC and do some. There's still sure. people that bounce it back and forth and still do that because it's still, it's still a good maneuver. It's still, right. it's still yeah. a workable thing. And it's just like the, uh, like if you're an artist, it works for let's say Marvel or DC, and you've got a regular monthly book for however long that lasts. You're still a small businessman. 
so you're still doing conventions, you're still doing commissions, you're still doing, you're still publishing sketchbooks, you're still, sure. you're still trying to get a Kickstarter going, you're still using your fan base, as it were, to, you know, build your career. So I don't have, yeah. I don't have an issue with that. I think the the Todd stuff is interesting because Todd didn't necessarily deliberately build up his career at Marvel. He built up his career at he didn't deliberately build up his career at Marvel to, and, and look at me now speaking for Todd. I'm sure he'll, he'll, he'll phone in any minute now. Todd, um, Todd's going to come on and refute everything. Of course, that's it. As 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 he might. And so, I just wanted my watch. But I think <laughs> I think Todd didn't deliberately build up his fan base at Marvel specifically to break off. Right. He went he went to Marvel and said, "I built this fan base for you. I am, you know." A, a star at this company and I would like some star treatment that is reflected uh, that moves me away from the assembly line where you recognize my talent and my ability and I would like a larger piece of the action right and Terry Terry Stewart has said because I, and I was in a room when Todd repeated this to me said that the creators are not important it's the characters that are important yep Ooh, and, that's Marvel and for yep. you know not just for a guy like Todd, but for a lot of people, that's kind of offensive. Well, and, yeah, it is. It is because we all know that it's a combination and it's arguable on that popularity spectrum. You could argue that 51% is the creator and 49 is the title itself or the other way around. Right. But either way, they share that responsibility for the success. Right. So I think I think where somebody like Todd would sort of take that as a challenge, and Todd proved Terry Stewart was wrong, and then Terry Stewart got kicked out of the company. And so, <laughs> but I also think that the, you know, in in Terry's defense, God help me, um, <laughs> why in, why in, in in Terry's defense as a as the keeper of the corporate mentality yes marvel is still publishing spider-man right yeah so todd mcfarlane is absolutely not essential to spider-man no because spider-man still exists and just like steve ditko was not essential Mm -hmm. steve ditko was not essential to spider i mean you can argue over my choice of words but spider-man still exists even though steve ditko is gone john romita is gone gil kane is gone you know a number of people have come and gone and so i think the same with batman yeah. And so I, I think the the characters do we might argue that we don't like those characters as much as we used to when Creator X was on those titles. But in the in a corporate view, in a in the larger corporate view, they just got new people for the washing machine assembly line. Yes. What was Terry's Correct. last so, name, Tom? I'm sorry? What was Terry's last name again? Terry Stewart. Stewart. Terry Stewart, yeah. And so what? um so what, what you've stated is, is correct in that the, the enduring title itself proved that the content of the title was, after all, more, stronger and more enduring than whatever creator happened to be on it at the time. Yes. The, the only counter-argument is. could be made that the, create, yeah. that the original creator still needed to be celebrated and compensated uh, and yeah. as was yeah. done eventually. Yeah, I think I think if if Terry Stewart hadn't been such a hard ass, the original guy, creators of some of these characters getting their uh, compensation or at least credit. Yes. 
Yeah. Well, and, I think uh, and, so. We thank and, him for that. And money. I think the, the yeah, idea absolutely. Goes, the thing about the the thing about the image guys that well, there's several great things about what they did, but the thing that they proved is that you could take your audience away and <laughs> and and build another <laughs> build another island of of creativity and they would come to you and i think if a lot of creators couldn't do that i think we've all seen over the years where a creator left marvel or dc and announced oh they're a huge creator owned book and it's just like eh, eh, okay right. whatever and yeah. the image guys are the ones who really sort of figured out Oh, if we there's strength in numbers. If we band together, if we make it a community, if we make it a company, if this is our stated mission, and you know we appeal to these, we're. I mean, the image guys were. They looked and sounded exactly like the comic book audience at the time when Roland and I were growing up. The guys who made comic books looked like bankers. <laughs> you, know, you, look, you, look, you look at photos of the DC offices from the yeah. 1960s and 1970s. It's like. These guys could sell insurance. Or, yeah. You know, yeah. Whatever. Right? These these are like my dad's friends down at the, at the lodge. These, are, these, yeah, these, no these aren't the cool hip guys. Hey, and, Tom, I, I don't know if uh, you've ever heard me. Uh, people often ask me, you know, what was the difference between uh, why you were, when you were an editor at Malibu and when you were an editor at Marvel? And uh, one of the things over the years I've, I've uh, said is that, you know, when I was at Malibu, if a creator came to me with the idea for a book and I was on board with it, I'm like, I like this. I could take it to you. I could take it to the head honchos and say, hey, here's this cool book. I think we ought to do it. And you guys would ask one question. The question was, can we make money? Generally speaking, if the answer was yes, then, then that project would move forward. Yes. The difference was, okay, so when, I, so when Marvel took over, same scenario. Same creator, same book. I would go to the head honchos. The question became, how much money can we make? Yes. And it sounds like a uh, it sounds like a small difference, but to me, that was a huge difference. It wasn't about can we just can we make money. It was about well, how much money can we make, and that's not enough. Right. Mm-hmm. Because we never we never looked at it as uh, as maximizing the the profit to its greatest extent. Like how much can we squeeze out of this? It's just like, can you make money? Cause you still had to make the book still had to make X amount of money over and above its cost. And there's a difference between making a hundred dollars profit or making, you know, a thousand dollars profit. Right. And so, but you could, the way the direct market is set up, you can almost always, well, in those days, you can almost always eke out a thousand bucks in, in profit over and above because you would get, you only needed, I forget, I forget the actual number, but you only needed like four thousand or five thousand copies in in pre-sales of a title for it to be uh, successful. Yeah, and that was so- that was it. But I want to get back to something that Dean said earlier um, before we forget and get off the other topic. Is the thing is the thing about working, the thing about fans, and the thing about working for corporate comics versus the thing about doing it your own self is remembering the feeling that you had when you first read Spider-Man or when you first read Batman or you first read whatever and you were excited. It's like, well, that's great. But being the 27th person on Batman or the 35th person on Spider-Man isn't 
as good as when a fan comes up to you and, and holds his your creator own comic in his hands and said, I am a fan of this. So I'm not a, I'm not a fan of your work on Spider-Man 897. I'm a span of I'm a fan <laughs> of your work on, you know, on Dean Zachary number one. And that right. that that's the feeling that I think I well that I wish more people would try to capture then because you it's it's easy to go oh you know it's Spider-Man's this and Batman's that and it's not this anymore it's like well the challenge is make your thing so that there's a fan out there who can hold that in his hand and go this is my Star Wars this is my Spider-Man number you know one this is my Spawn 7 so that's, that's enough, brilliant just, go um, ahead Aaron it just, so when, when a lot of you guys got into writing and comics, did you like for especially for the artists? Did you guys want to draw Spider Man? And like, if you read Spider Man, do you want to draw Spider Man? Like, go off and draw him, not like professionally, but as a kid, go off and draw him. Or did you I want did, to make yeah. up your own stuff? Uh, as a kid, um, I learned that I loved the comic book style by looking at Ramita Gil Kane and how they drew Spider-Man and Neil Adams drawing Batman yeah. and so on. It made me want to draw. So I tried to learn by copying. And by copying, yeah. I gained an affection, a great affection for the characters and their world. And so it was like a best friend that you grew up with. And that's really why for many, many years, and like, like Barbara and I discussed until a few weeks ago, uh, we brought this up that, until relatively recently, had we been offered a short project from one of the big two, we might have taken it or would have taken it, but not now. It's because you turn a corner as a creator where you reach the perception that Tom just described, where you recognize that a fan holding your book and saying, I love this book, this is awesome, is fantastically superior to infinitely. that thrill of, draw- yes, yeah, of drawing. I just, I never wanted character. to write or draw for any of the big companies, even as a kid. I, I, we I were such care. kids, Aaron, we were such kids that it wasn't even like a business thing. It really was like, I, I just want to draw it because it's cool. We didn't think about it. Yeah, but I mean, it was funny because I remember yeah. my friends like, I want to draw for Marvel, DC. And I'm like, screw this guy. I don't want to draw for that crap. And uh, <laughs> I just didn't. I just didn't want to. Awesome. I wanted to make you, my own but stuff. That's good. At the and time, I always made my own stuff. I, I tried. I actually remember years ago trying to draw Spider-Man. I got halfway through and I just got bored. Like, I don't want to draw this guy. It's the yeah. webbing, isn't it? It's, it's the web. It's draw the, the web. No, it's just, I don't know. I mean, I, a lot of people know here. I'm not the, like, I like certain superheroes, but I'm not the biggest. It's just, it wasn't even the webbing. It was just like, I learned them. I was like, this, like, how many thousands of pictures of this dude? What could I possibly bring to this dude that hasn't been brought a thousand times before? Yeah. There's just so nothing unique. And, and in that context, as an artist, it's, just, it's immediately just boring. Yeah. yeah I can't bring anything new, that- anything different, or make it my own. Then, yeah. then I don't care. I lose interest in a lot of creator owned, like not creator owned, but things that are like drawing Batman. I'm like, like what? Yeah. What am I gonna do? Like, yeah. somebody's gonna go like, wow, that's the ultimate Batman pitch out of billions <laughs> of them. Like, I just no. doesn't. It, I, I never, even as a kid, it just never made any sense to me. My friends would draw the Punisher, and I'm like, why I'd make up some Punisher type character and draw? So I don't. I just never got that. It was never what I, what I for me at all. That's what I, I, I had do. Was yeah. I would do characters within a universe. Yeah. You know, I would I would do bastardizations 
yeah. of, mm-hmm. of characters. Um, but I would still have gone back to work for the big two until I did Divinity. And there's nothing really quite like birthing your own book yeah. um, to really uh, set you, you know, into a different mindset. Yeah. I don't know. I just never did. I was, I, I said, I think I've read X-Men and that was it for Marvel. And Maybe DC. it's the difference between adopting and actually birthing. I think yeah. so. I think there was, <laughs> I think there was more, I mean, um, more invigoration about, yeah. in the birthing of it. But like I think yeah. I read New Warriors and I read X Men and then I just mm-hmm. never read it. the only Batman story I got into was a Dark Knight Returns. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. He he was okay. I don't know. I just I like Ninja Turtles. You know, I thought Alien Leech, Appleseed, stuff like that. But sure, I don't know. It's interesting. What about might... what about uh, we we've had a silence from our Wizards of Wordplay. I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna throw it to Mister <laughs> Mister Scott Wakefield, the 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 goateeless, the facial hairless, yes, Scott the baby faced. I'm gonna uh, get this cut soon if you need some. Yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> it's his sympathy ponytail. Uh, Scott, talk talk to us. Uh, Babyface um, Wigfield. Uh, you know, a little bit about what, what you'd like to know from our sage. Oh, goodness. Tonight. So I, I hate to jump to Well, first I want to comment or ask Roland, when does Dean Zachary, the Dean Zachary series start? Because yeah. we have Tommy, you know, number one. Yeah, it's, it's been, been green lit. Yeah. Can I Dean work on it, please? I'm working on it right in. now. It's just Dean Zachary fighting crime. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it. Yes. You have you seen his profile it. pic, right? Yeah, it's just a biography. It's just me, you know, at night fighting crime. It's it. It's cool. So anyway, go ahead. So my, okay, I hate to, I don't know if I'm, maybe this isn't as big a question as I feel like it is, but like how... How do the indies break a, get break through? Get above the the the. I mean, it's a behemoth, the Marvel and DC world, Disney, and and how? What do they need to do? What or I, I don't know. What aren't they doing? In a in an ideal world, what do they need to do? Uh, what does Silverline need to do? Uh, it, because we're doing a, a million things and it's awesome. But it just seems like it's just such an uphill battle. How do you change the mind? There's a lot of questions in this. I'm sorry. How do we change the mind? Are these directed the at me or are these directed because at Roland? Everybody. Everybody. I, I don't know. Or, or you, Tom. Because yeah. um, the indie world seems to ebb and flow. Um, I think the never, indie world, to me, the really. The whole industry. The whole comics yeah. industry ebbs and flows. Yeah. I think they uh, – and you could look at what industry doesn't. I mean, TV right. – how yeah. many times? How many times on television do you hear? Oh, the sitcom is dead, or oh, yeah. it's all reality shows now, or oh, it's all crime shows now, or it's so you know, it's Doctor Lawyer, whatever show. And so I think yeah. it, and music flows too. It's like now mm-hmm. it's all it's all you know, girl bands, or it's all boy bands, or it's all K-pop, or it's all whatever. And I think the, you know, everything flows. Everything. I think the key is that it's all an uphill battle. Like if yeah. you were if you were trying to make a shoe, if you if you came up with a design for the perfect shoe for running and you wanted to pitch it to Nike or Adidas or whatever, uphill battle. Mm. If you wanted to make a car uphill battle. So yeah, if you have to look at it in sort of bigger, bigger terms of, you know, it's all battle. And and most of the time, I mean, there are something like, I forget the exact number. So let's make it up. Like let's say a hundred thousand people writing screenplays every year. Maybe one gets Mm. sold. 
Yeah. yeah. Silverline so, just needs that one big hit and then everybody will benefit from it. <laughs> but I think, well, I think that's the thing. You win the lottery you, once. But you just, <laughs> but, <laughs> you only have to win the lottery once. But the thing is well, that, but, the, the old story is if you want to make if you want to make two if you want to make a million bucks, start with two. Start with two million. Right. So. <laughs> that's, that's, that's how you make a money at a bakery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think I think the way the way to do it is to just sort of like nothing is guaranteed. The way to right. do it is if Roland and, and now Roland will talk about you as if you were not here. All the time. If, <laughs> if, if Roland just had one book and he kept showing up at the show. And he went. He did all the all the, the Southern Convention circuit that he normally does, and he just has the one book. Eventually, people would just be like, eh, yeah. "No, I've seen I it's that guy. guy again. He's he's that one guy. Book. Yeah. There <laughs> he is again. But over that time, man, what's his name? But, but it, at the next show, he's got two, and at the next show after that, he's got three. At the next show after that, he's got four, and then he's got a superhero one. Then he's got a funny animal one. Then he's got one that appeals to young girls. <laughs> Then he's got one that appeals to religious aspects and he's got one that appeals to whatever he's got. Suddenly he has, he's starting to look more like Barnes and Noble than one guy. And so I think that's, I mean, that's not the key to success. That's just the key. So I see. So I will be the ultimate skeptic, and I will slightly disagree with you. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome. The only reason I have is most independent (laughs) creators that have stuck around have made it on one book. Look at Terry Moore's Strange in Paradise, Stan Sakai and Yusagi Yojimbo, Eastman and Peter Lutter and Ninja Turtles. Even when he did other stuff, that one stuck. Right. So now, I, I would say if you were an independent single creator, you are probably better making your own idea and focusing on that than making a cavalcade of stuff and hoping something hits. That to me I, is a little more shot in the dark. I would say this then. That number one, that's not an entrepreneurial spirit. So that's a different entrepreneurial spirit than Roland has. And number two, all those titles that you named were created in the eighties. Yeah. And yeah, the world like, the world was different then. It was Stan Sakai. Uh, Stranger Paradise was created in the nineties. Right. So 30, no, 32 years ago. Early nineties too. And uh, so I think no, the I Terry uh, Terry sent me a copy of the very first issue that he drew of that. Mm-hmm. that in 1989. There we go. That's when he just created. Just in under the wire. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, it, but I think 89 is when he sent me that. So it, it, it's still an 80s. And it, 80s kind of falls into the 90s anyway. A lot of the creative I, stuff that happened mm-hmm. then. And I think those are, and again, Roland will talk about you like you're not here. <laughs> yeah. but, but I think all those, all those books that you named are not only, you know, decades old, which is fine. But it's a single vision guy. Yeah. It's Jeff Smith who could do who could do everything. It's Terry Moore who could do everything. It's the Turtles guys who did everything as a duo who basically hung out all day. And so, uh, and the Hernandez brothers in Love and Rockets, two brothers who just you know who grew yeah. up together. But I and, would even argue that manga. A lot of manga creators would spend years doing twenty six volumes of a single story, and they yeah, are they, outselling us hugely right now different different and i would even if it's i would still argue that it's still oranges just tar apples and i would also argue that if it did work immediately you you only know about the ones that last right you don't Mm -hmm. know about the ones that had two or three episodes and then failed 
Yeah. Right. And but I, what I'm saying as as a customer, when I go up, if I go up to a stand that has a bunch of different titles, the first thought in my head is like, oh, a bunch of issue number ones, and that is as far as they're ever going to get. Right. Because he's not focusing on one, and this is that my it's like there's nothing to dig into, and I'm still to as a reader four issues is just not enough to dig into. Well, that is basically a short story, and some of the most. <clears throat> Well, Most. you're not the target audience. Right. I would even, say this. Even if it's you're, the target audience. You're not I would say this. You're not my customer and I don't care if I appeal to you or not because I'm <laughs> right. I'm not chasing you. And so I think the right. and so I think the the beauty of it is and and again this is uh and again, hi Roland. Um <laughs> but it, the beauty of it is when a book if you're if you're I don't look at Roland as a creator necessarily i look at roland as a publisher which encompasses a lot of different subtitles underneath that that includes creators but i would say that to roland hi roland there's no (laughs) when you when you are able to put together a book that either you've written or that somebody else has written and other people have drawn and other people have lettered and it comes to you from the printer and you hold it in your hand there's a feeling of real pride that you help put all that together yeah, I, and I, so I, it, I know that. I, I know what you're talking about. And so yeah. I think the <laughs> he's about to do it. Look at he that. is. He's about to hold yeah. that. <laughs> and oh, so I think that's yeah. fresh, yeah. fresh off the printer. About two weeks. Two weeks there off the go. printer. Yeah. yeah. Nice. nice. Is that from Barry? Very beautiful. Very nice. Yes. Is that from Kablam? Okay. Yep. Yeah. 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 And so I think I, the uh, so it's it's two different things. You're looking for you're looking for something from Roland that Roland isn't, and Roland is looking for something that. He's, he's not going to appeal to you. So and I, still, think, I, I think, I, I think still, both, still I think both can live. I'm sorry. I just, yeah. I just, I, 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 I disagree I think, with a lot of this stuff. So, so I why haven't, so I why would. haven't you done 50 issues, Aaron? I did 12. He <laughs> did 12. 12. <laughs> why haven't you done 50? Oh, I'm not saying I could go further. What I'm saying is I see a lot of companies come out and make a lot of various different things. Mm-hmm. And every time I talk to any marketing person, they say you want to market towards your audience. Well, if you're making comics and westerns, horror, superhero, sci-fi, who's your audience? If you say comic readers, they're going to be like not good enough. Because most of the people who are, who are successful zero in that audience. So how do you zero in on that audience if you're doing a thousand and one different things for a thousand and one different audiences? You check would see which one sells. That's right. Yeah, it's a market test. And, and then, then, well, and then from that, that, then do you do you bear down on that series? Then is that yes. bear on, you, sure, and then you create something similar? Yeah, you create something else yeah. that's similar. You that's find what out what to, works. Yeah, and they keep going because you look you at recycle all the old stuff and just kind of work it. Because you look at what make so much new stuff. You know, I would I would say that that Silverline is still in its formative stages, regardless of its age. Yep. And mm-hmm. whereas somebody like Brian Polito is not in the formative stages anymore. Brian yeah. Polito found his audience. He found the books that work for his publishing brand. And yep. he only makes books that fit into that brand. You're not going to find a funny animal book coming out of Brian's company. You're not going to find <laughs> no. a, necessarily a superhero book coming out of Brian's imprint. You're not going to find, you know, epic Dune-like fantasy coming out of Brian's Brian's got the imprint. three Bs of comics. Right. And yeah. so he's Blades and Blood. Right. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. same thing with uh, with other creators like that who have their brand. I would say that yeah. Silverline is still early enough and Roland is still figuring out, uh, you know, 
how the imprint is going to look yeah. like what books work the signature books will be the ones that catch the largest audiences right. yeah and then we'll mine those and then expand from there that's right but right. this but Aaron brings up a, a, a good because what I'm saying is the two question. biggest successful companies right now mm-hmm. in comics for years have been Marvel and DC mm-hmm. what is their mm-hmm. brand what do they publish superhero comics nothing else no that's not true so, though that's well, not they true. Do. That's their main focus. They may yeah, that's their main focus. focus. Things, but superheroes are bread and butter. Right. And that's what I'm saying. That's no. that focus. You don't see a lot too many straight-up horror comics from Marvel. You're not going to find a lot of romance comics from Marvel. You might find some. But what's what I'm, no. this is what I see. It's like I see that focus. And then I see a mm-hmm. lot of companies come out that are independent, and they do everything. They, they also have so. million-dollar wallets. Even yeah. if they had many million dollar like I said, wallets, they still make one million. they yeah. had to build that. So, yeah, they had to build that from something. Yeah, from from so. a, from another million dollar company. But if you yeah. you know what, you know what, though, Aaron Aaron when they were starting out, they were doing exactly what Roland is doing because yeah. everything they were the chasing. Yeah. They were trying to find what, what was going to take off and what yeah. would stick. Like if you Western, read about they had money. What Stan Lee was doing in the early '60s, right before Fantastic Four and all of that, they were they were about to fold. It was going downhill fast. He yeah, had to yeah. come up with something, yeah. and they just then threw, they the superheroes. Yeah. threw it out yeah. there, and it, and it took off. So there's a lot of experimentation in those early years, and I think there's something to be said for that. But I want to I want to move from that for a moment to Tom's uh, focus on this, and that is we we understand fundamentally that the success of a title is the coordination of two basic things, promotion and content. So in your opinion, what I know that each, each part of the company has to focus on their expertise there, but when it comes down to it, is it easier to promote lesser content or to let great content do what it's going to do? In other words, can you over promote something that is dying or can you under promote something great and how much of each thing contributes to the success? Well, it, it depends because where like for Marvel and DC, their audience is still through the direct market. Okay. Yeah. And I would and so that that's a different type of content versus promotion argument than let's say Silverline or because Roland, do you go? Do you go through Diamond? Do you have anything that goes out through Diamond? No, not yet. I I, I would like to one day. Once we get, we don't have anyone who can produce anything on a monthly basis, so we can't go to Diamond. Challenge right now. And so I think, I think for, so if you're looking at the smaller independent, so let's just pick on Silverline for a second. Is it basically where it is? Is it's Roland? And so it's, it's Roland's person. Everything about Silverline is Roland's personality. And so it's Roland is basically the hand seller of the company. He's the figurehead person. He's the guy. It's his company. He founded it. He named it. He organizes it, everything. He's the guy you can still talk to at the convention. He's the guy you could still email to. He's the guy you could still, in theory, talk to on Twitter or whatever. And so <laughs> everything... Everything about Silverline is Roland's personality. And so um, I think where his best, as an independent, where his best focus is, 
is hand selling. And that is, yeah. so it's the Kickstarter stuff is an extension <clears throat> of his personality. The books he publishes are an extension of his personality. So that when you meet the guy from Silverline at, at the Orlando Con or whatever, oh, that's Roland. And Roland, Roland projects that sort of good natured, good humored, you know, He's not that intense guy who's, you know, this, who's who's trying to force not, the comic books on you. Oh, Roland has a very sort of folksy Andy Griffith sort of style. And I, wow, you know, that's good. Wow. And I think, but I think, but I think, but I think that that works because he doesn't he doesn't run at odds with his imprint. Like when you meet Brian Polito from yeah. uh, from his books, he looks like the guy who would publish his books. He looks yeah. like. Yeah. You know, he, yeah, he's yeah. he's all he's all dressed up like you know the Metallica roadie, and you know he's 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 ready right. to go. You think if if you said who publishes Lady Death, is it Brian Polito or Roland Matt? You would know by the way they dress and the way they talk. It's Brian, and so that's so I think that you have to be the ambassador for the the imprint that you represent. That's a you have to be on social media to the extent that you are. And you have to be able to put together a good Kickstarter um, program. And I think you have to build a database of people that you can reach out to that you can't talk to in, you know, one-on-one. You've got to yeah. collect names so that every time you do your Kickstarter, they're aware of it. And you just keep, what, you just keep building. What about Barb's point, Tom, that uh, once we get that bona fide title that's a hit, then how much then does content begin to overtake the leading publisher personality and it becomes the divinity company or the whatever in other words like marvel was spider-man fantastic for so four. long just like right. or fantastic four and dc was batman for so right. long i mean or superman um at what point uh it does it take that that singular title to then rise above the banner of the of the publishing name is that what it takes or is that an intentional thing that has to be made to happen i think i again i think it's if it's corporate comics then it becomes intentional because then you think oh i got to get that divinity feel in all my books because okay my because corporate accounting you will walk into because Roland and I used when we were at Malibu Comics, we had an accountant who would walk in with the uh, with the sales figures for the books, and she would say, "This book sold a hundred thousand copies. This book sold fifty thousand copies. You need to do more books that sell a hundred thousand copies." Right. <laughs> and so, right, right, right. And so that's that's sort of the Marvel and DC way, where it's like, <laughs> right. you know, I got a, right. Divinity sold, you know, this many copies. We got to have Divinity more in divinities. all our books now. Yeah. Right. We have yeah. to have Infinity yeah. Divinities. And so right. I, I think <laughs> so there's there's that. And then I think but if you look if you look at a more organic company that's independent like Silverline, then and and Barb and Roland see oh divinity is really, you know, mm-hmm. now it's it's four times what it used to be. Do you have not only do you have a second series in mind, do you have a spin-off series in mind? And are you able to write and do a second series, or could we hire somebody else to do the second series? And then it becomes yeah. That becomes a conversation that goes through Barb because it's her book, and so yeah. that's that's the thing. If Barb suddenly says, "No, Divinity is deeply personal to me. I've only got, you know, I can do one four issue story a year because I have to recharge." That's that's the way you talk independently. That's not the way you talk to Marvel or DC. Right, right. right. So, 
let's let's say um, why does then you know Marvel and DC for example they make their money on superhero comics primarily as as Aaron observed um, but they do keep the mid sellers and even the lower sellers they keep them going yes uh, for what for whatever reason so well they do it, now they do right now. is it but I, yeah is it well, wise. Is it, is it an organic thing or is it an upper management decision thing to create what I call the cutoff line of it has to sell X or we kill the book? Like, well, is that it, something, how does that work? It, it does have to sell X. And again, I'm not, I mean, I have friends that work at DC and I have friends that work at Marvel. So I know some of this um, mm-hmm. and I obviously can't name names of people because of that's, course, where, I, that's where I not. get my stuff from. Um, but the uh, the thing is that uh, you know DC and Marvel changed their contracts for participation several years ago, which is why Vertigo is dead. And so okay. people aren't going to if you're creating your own character, like if if Barb said she wanted to take the Divinity Project to DC, we'd have to have a talk where we just talk her off the ledge and say don't <laughs> right. don't do don't, it. don't do that don't do it you know, they'll right. destroy it. Right. No, it doesn't matter. If, it doesn't matter if they'll destroy it. It's just you'll lose it. It'll be gone. Yeah. It well, won't yeah. Be yeah. And so people, the reason why you get 17 versions of Metamorpho over a 17-year period is that DC doesn't create. Yeah. Um, <laughs> DC doesn't create new things much because right. they don't reward the creator. There's no reward yeah. for creating a new Batman villain. There's no reward for creating a new superhero character for Marvel or DC that is equal to what you can do. For image or for some other independent company. Right. Is it fair to say for the up and coming creator in their in their early twenties and they're listening and they're watching this broadcast and they really want to get in the business, is it fair to say you're crazy? No. Is it fair to say <laughs> Yes uh, it is. Change majors. Change your yeah. major. Do something real. No. Um, is is it fair to say that that what they need to do first of all is stick to what you love to do and keep honing your skill set but don't necessarily try to tailor your content to a certain demographic do what you love and the demographic will find you is that too idealistic or yes. is that something okay because I, I think okay. i think because what because you're talking to a kid in there who's 20 21 22 years old and, yeah, and what? How's that going to work? <laughs> that's, right. that's, that's, you can't. I, I think we've all been that kid who's 20, 21, 20, 22, and you you couldn't tell me a goddamn thing. And so um, there's that. I, yeah. So yeah. I think that's you know the the lesson of the of the of the the wizened veteran telling the younger people how to do it is is even if it's valid, and you know I don't even think we should, we should argue about the validity of it. The message no. won't get heard, and so I think any. I think any kid who safely dreams of drawing Spider-Man for a living is foolish. Because that's like Interesting. that's like that's like saying I want to write a movie that only Spielberg directs. It's like mm, wow. Okay. No, it's fine, but yeah. <laughs> it, it's a good it's a good dream to have, it's right? The best script you can. Happen, right. Also, so what, you're, what, what you're saying is dream beyond uh, peripheral success. Dream your own success, not what? success attached to someone else's success, but much like Aaron did as a kid, like, I don't want to do these other people's stuff. I want to do my own stuff. Yes. If many of us, you know, didn't have 
that approach as younger people because we did want to be associated with the cool character that we loved, right. right? But the better advice, which they won't listen to, of course, but the better advice is do your own thing, keep doing it, do it well. Right, but there's there's a, there's a thing, in, you know, in the younger days, in the, the days when Roland and I were bratty kids, you only had Marvel and DC. Right. That was it. Right. And so right. the, if you wanted to work in comics, there's no making your own comics. Right. There's no there's no internet where you can post stuff. There's no Instagram. There's no TikTok. There's no none of that. You mm-hmm. just you eat, you go to you tell your parents I want to work in comics. I'm going to draw Spider Man. I'm going to draw Batman. Or I'm going to write Superman. Whatever. That's it. Those are your options. Today, there's so many there's so many other alternatives that you can pursue, including starting your own company or publishing your own single vision comic book or doing something for the internet or whatever. That you're foolish to sort of say. I only want to draw Spider-Man. Yeah. I want some guy at Marvel or DC to call me up and say, hey, you know, I got screwed on my Batman deadline. I need a book in uh, 14 days. Can you, <laughs> can you be, can you save my ass and be my guy? And I think, <laughs> you know, that's, yeah, it's kind of a crappy vision. And so I think, <laughs> you know, I think if you. I used to have that vision. Yeah. Right, a lot of <laughs> a, a lot of people do, and then you think, yeah. well, this and 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 how many times do you save an editor's butt, and then you don't get a reward? Like it doesn't lead to the next. Right. The call goes out, hey, we're hiring for this new book. Rob has saved my butt on seventeen issues of this late title. Maybe I should give it to him. It's like, nope, nah. no, not so anymore. I think, right, not anymore. And it so used I, to I be think, a little bit more like that. Right, not, it was more like that. Yeah, but. Yeah, mm-hmm. but but the industry, nope. I and I know, I I know this for a fact. You're not going to get into DC unless you are successful somewhere else. Yeah. Yes. And so yes. if you you've got to have if you want DC to notice you, you can send samples to DC all you want to. You can email the editors. You can talk to them at conventions or whatever. But until you stake out a claim within the industry of a thing that you've done that has attracted attention, DC is not going to be interested in you. It's why people who make who get on TV now have like a th- have like a million TikTok followers. They get on TV mm-hmm. because they have an they bring an audience. Yeah, and so yeah. you gotta you gotta do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And why work for DC when you can work for Silverline? I mean, that's on. right. Well, you don't work for them. You don't work for us. Uh, yeah. By the way, I want to welcome uh, Brent Larson. <laughs> Hey, Brent, we've been talking about you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was on my ship, you know, and I had to uh, come to uh, just back in port. <laughs> just back in port. Oh, Brent, you're in the Coast Guard, eh? <laughs> <laughs> so, Marty. <laughs> yeah. I stopped short of getting the military discount. But... <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. So, Tom, tell, yes. tell us, uh, you know, you've made it clear, and I'm glad you're being as open and forthright and blunt as you can for these kids who are listening. Like, it's foolish to want to do that. Do your own thing. Not that they'll listen, as you right. said, but, <laughs> but again, that is wise advice. Yeah. Well, there's, and there's nothing, if, you know, it's again. I'm not. I'm not the angry old man who's going to criticize kids if they want to get off if, my lawn. <laughs> but I mean, if they if they have a dream where they want to work for Marvel and DC, that's fine. It's you know, that's a that's a let them let them somebody needs let to do work that. for them. Right. But the you know the the you know Robert Rodriguez didn't become a, a Star Wars director 
on his own. He started by making his own movies and especially mm-hmm. his low budget movies that he financed with his credit cards in Texas or whatever. <laughs> yeah, Desperado. Before, you know, yeah, Des- yeah mm-hmm. he made that for like seven thousand yeah. dollars, and then <laughs> right. you know, twenty five years later, he's directing Star Wars stuff. So it's like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he doesn't become the Star Wars guy until he makes his own small movie mm-hmm. that attracted attention, that won awards. El Mariachi, not Desperado. That's right, El Mariachi. It was called that's, El Mariachi. Very, yes, good. very good. Very good. It became. And he, re- he got to remake a bigger budget, but yeah, it was El Mariachi. And so yeah. it, that's that's the thing. A lot of people, if you look back at successful movie makers who are directors or writer directors, somewhere along the way, they made a they made a really tiny movie that was very independent. And El Mariachi does not look like his Star Wars stuff, but he doesn't get to do Star Wars. He doesn't get without to have a career that. until he makes his own Without movie. that. Without, without that. that. I'm confused. No. When did Robert Rodriguez direct Star Wars? He directed he, an episode of Mandalorian, I believe. And Boba Fett. And Boba Fett. Yeah. He oh. did several episodes of The Mandalorian and several episodes of The Book of Boba Fett. He's, so in he's now in the Star Wars team, so to speak. Right. Family. So, yeah. yeah. The that's, family. Indeed. That's actually kind of depressing, really. <laughs> They're the guys who are going to turn it around, dude. Come on. I'd rather he just make um, his own stuff. But that's what, but that's the about... thing. He takes he, he takes because he has a studio. He has a studio yeah. in wherever it is in Texas where he does make his own stuff. So he he bounces around the the way a lot of these people do. That he bounces around from I'll do some Star Wars stuff where I'll get known. I'll make money. I'll meet. The key to making movies is you've got to find people who have money because movies. That's the key know, to everything, right? Yeah. And so. You know, by by being a Star Wars director, he has access to to money that he didn't have when he was just a small San Antonio filmmaker. <laughs> right. Um, Tom, you yeah. mentioned earlier, you know, the I, I guess the corporate approach of emulation. Right. We, we they, the suits want you to emulate what's successful. Do a version of that. Um, right. Talk talk to us a little bit about emulation versus originality in terms of I mean do you go against it or do you go with it or do you try to walk that line and blend the two well I think I think the worst thing I <laughs> maybe this will make Roland laugh but the because we, <laughs> we, we used to hear this all the time uh, okay. when when as Malibu comics became more corporate is you know we got to do X or X because uh, we had a boss, Bob Jacob, who was always like trying to follow the hot thing. Get to the hot thing, and so <laughs> you would just sort thing. of, yeah. yeah, you gotta, you sort of, well, we would do it as a defense mechanism, and it's like, oh yeah, sure, Bob, yeah, we'll do that, we'll get right on that. And so, <laughs> but, but the thing is, you tell the where you don't want to get into. Again, this is just corporate corporate office politics. You don't get into the no and stand your ground and have a huge fight in the conference room about the thing because that does that's like talking that's to not kids. gonna work it's not right, gonna help work. anybody so you just say yes you're exactly right sir we'll get on that right away and then either a you forget about it or <laughs> you you sit around like we would do you would sit around and say this is the thing bob wants us to do and then we would figure out how can we fix how can we fix it? we know what he's trying to do he just wants a book that sells how can we twist that around so it it looks like we're giving him something that makes him happy but we're also doing something that makes us happy. Yeah. So I used, yeah. I used to work just, for an ad agency and we did one for us, one for the client and one that was a blend of both. Right. Could, 
we could sell, right? Uh, because the, the, the client's idea was always bad. Yes, exactly. And so that's <laughs> and that's the way that's the way it is with a corporate boss too. The corporate boss doesn't care about anything. When they know what they want, most of the time they don't even know what they want. Right. They don't they know what they, they want, do, they, but they don't. No, they don't. They don't. Um, I would they know what they don't want. It's the same thing when I, yeah. when I work on television stuff and I get notes from a producer and I don't, it isn't so much the note that you get, you know, change this dialogue or give this character a dog or, you know, make right. this, make this person, <laughs> whatever. And so it's not so much that you have to sort of figure out what they really want, what they really mean and how you can address it in a way that makes everybody happy. That's the, that's the lift. Yes. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't give my friend Rory a chance to ask a question. You've been <laughs> silent over there in the corner. <laughs> it's so rare. He has so a Gandalf bro, beard that bro, he's been stroking. <laughs> yeah, Dean, if you open this door, he's going to just run right through. I, know, I, know. I, I was waiting till the very end here. It's like, <laughs> and, 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 oh. Go for it, Rory. Every time I stroke my beard, it's a different question. So <laughs> All um, right, let me. Can I make some coffee? Are we yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> take start over from the top. I th- actually, I had two questions, and and over the course of the night, they kind of got smashed together, which is awesome because they are re- they are related. But like you said, we were talking about like, the turtle stuff, right? The the genres come in like groups. Like everybody jumps on one bandwagon at a time all the turtles stuff, all the animal stuff. I think of like Conan and Beastmaster. Think of Blade stuff and all the vampire stuff. It's like zombies all together. It's like everybody jumps on one thing at a time. I think we have to look ahead to see what's going to pop again. Is there going to be the nostalgia buy every 25 to 30 years? Or like what's the pattern we should expect of what will be in vogue in the next five to 10 years? And start working on it now. Well, I think, I think that's the pathway to madness because <laughs> the you're trying, to, there. You're, you're trying to you're trying to guess. Uh, yeah, because it's better. It's like Barb. Where did divinity come from? A dream. My and my brother's sickness. Okay. My my brother's cancer. Right. Okay. Well, I'm sorry about that. I. I was hoping for something a little lighter. No, <laughs> it's a heavy thing, man. You should. Hey, it's me. now. I'm just. I got nothing now. All the doors are flying open. That's yeah, but it, it, man. It's like, whoa. But, I, but that's. Well, now I'm just. I'm just. I got nothing. Okay. So the, it's all right, man. Uh, there's there's sad. We're holding it together up to now. But you can't. You can't say. Oh, well, I think that's going to be the next hot thing, and so, I think. I think it's what you can everybody say can relate to. Right. What yeah, you sure. can say, what you can say is that zombies are sort of played out until they're not. You know, right. and then mm-hmm. out of because mm-hmm. I would have said well, zombies were all played out until uh, Kirkman's Walking Dead book came out. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now they're yeah. now they're really played out, or, or maybe they're not. Right. Because yeah. you just right. need you just need that one thing. Maybe funny animals are tired until they're well, not. And, so it's and the interesting. The interesting thing about this, I actually. Uh, we have some insight into how Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles became the the thing that it did, and it was because it was released at a at a tiny little convention out on the East Coast on a slow news day, and it got and it got picked up by a local TV station did did a story on it, 
And because it was a slow news day, it went nationwide. It went viral. Right time, right place. So a lot of it is pure luck. luck. It's absolutely luck. And what I I say about luck is, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Mm. So create something, create something you really believe in Mm -hmm. and hope for that opportunity to make it into something bigger. It, it, it might it might come tomorrow. It might never come. But uh, you it, at least have some fun while you're trying to get it done. What's the adage? Once you yeah. notice a trend, it's too late, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's it, right. yeah. Once once the adults start start using the slang, <laughs> it's done. Facebook is doomed ten years ago. Oh, Got it. That was a fat thought. I always, I always say you can Gosh, you got can, heavy. You can tell you can tell that kale is over because Lay's makes it a potato chip. Right. <laughs> so that's I'm never going to get healthy. <laughs> Her eggs are good for you again. So that's right. <laughs> so really, calculation is is not the way to go in your mind, Tom. Right? Because calculation no. is just chasing something because that's. You know. Because this this is where I'm going to go. Now I'm going to go agree with Aaron is that the the guys that he's talking about who made their own book. So the Terry Moores and the Jeff Smiths and the Turtles guys, they weren't calculated. Right. You know, the the Eleven Rockets brothers, uh, they weren't calculated. This is the thing they wanted to do more than mm-hmm. anything else in the world. This is the idea <laughs> that they had. Yep. This is what they yep. wanted. And mm-hmm. that's. And it caught nobody on. was nobody was clamoring for you know that funny looking bone book. Nobody was clamoring for turtles with samurai swords. Nobody was clamoring for any of that. There wasn't there wasn't a trend that preceded it. That was just the Correct. thing they wanted to do that they felt strongly about and that they could create. And so I think that's yep. that you know. And we talked about it before. the The industry is littered with the bodies of a million of those kinds of things that yep. didn't succeed. Yeah, but that's. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's you know, also littered. It's all it's also littered with the bodies of a million books where people tried to be calculating. Yeah. So you don't think uh, it'd be it would behoove us to to fill the negative space of a culture of like what aren't people getting some kind of some, some kind of like positivity because everything seems to be like really down and out now. Wasn't that when Superman came on the scene? Yeah, but what are the whole what escapism? Are, what are you at that point? Are you being a creative person? Or are you being a publisher? Like if if Roland thinks that, that Roland should be paid to think that way because he's the publisher, and he should be thinking about what kind of book, what kind of book would I want to do that I think might work, and that's that's where his conversations are. But if you're a creative person and you're creating a thing, I think the worst thing you can do is 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 <clears throat> make a menu of things that are popular and go. Well, I'm going to try to work these things out. I would say, Rory, too, I used to, t- so I, I went, I, my college degree is in fine arts, and then I also mm-hmm. went to the Art Institute for a while. Doing those two things, I came to a conclusion, and this is going to maybe sound mean, but it's something that I came upon. <laughs> I love mean. Do you mean? <laughs> to all you of you cry, here. Make cry. Be mean. When yeah. I talked to people, they was like, what's the difference between fine arts and commercial art? I'm like, easy fine art is is the art with all the ideas commercial art is the art with no ideas and what i mean by that is i saw so many people to reiterate the same stuff they've seen over and over and over 
and over again to the point it just becomes nausea. Like when I went to the fine arts, like the stuff I saw, even though it wouldn't even maybe work in comics, you're seeing people who are thinking so far outside the box that it really got my mind wandering. Like, man, if I could take some of the creative juices in the fine arts building and shove them into the commercial art, like comics, we could possibly transform the industry because they would see things so differently. You come in the comics and I see people like, Hey, I drew a Dragon Ball Z character, just like Dragon Ball Z. And like, yeah, thank you. That's, that's great. <laughs> you know, or, or people in the art institute, like, oh, want to get in the Pixar. Yeah. So everyone drew Pixar characters and they just buckle. It was like, so the actual change in ideas was so small. And it was just mm-hmm. and like me and my friend Tom had talked many times. I mean, you sit down with a blank piece of paper your imagination is the limit. You can do mm-hmm. anything you want. So I'm going to draw a variation on Spider-Man. <laughs> or I'm going to draw another green alien. And I'm like, seriously, dude? You can do anything you want. Stretch mm-hmm. it. This is called, yeah. to me, this is what's called bravery in the industry. And this is something that I will say in the comic industry, there's not a lot of bravery sometimes. There's a lot of safety. Yeah. We're going to do what came before. We're going to try to catch what's hot because we don't want to lose money. And then you see those brave guys try yeah. something, and if it, hit, it hits, boom, they're gone. There's not a lot of bravery. And to me, me, my personal opinion, it frustrates me to no end. Because the lowest entry for any creative medium is comics. Dude, you can do these entire things in one room in your house with minimal, mm-hmm. minimal money and budget. Yep. It costs more to make a commercial and a movie than make comics. And yet when people yeah. still make comics, the, the creator is like, you know, I can't do that creative idea. It's not going to make money. Who cares? Do it anyways. It is so easy. The entry level is so easy. Do hmm. it. I've seen, I've seen comics done in fine arts, watercolor at the library. I've seen comics taught. I mean, one lady wrote about a history growing up in Poland during the communist fall. I've seen books about the history of Israel. I mean, I've seen books with so many ideas and way to present it it's just amazing but mm-hmm. american comics are stuck if it doesn't have a cape we don't care mm-hmm. and it's really really frustrating because mm-hmm. i want to be like i want to be part of the european comic scene or the japanese the people who even though they have their tropes are different they're pushing those boundaries pushing those limits especially if everyone tells me there's no money to be made in comics then even better if there's no money to be made in comics then what is stopping you what is stopping you? I don't know. I have this is literally it just absolutely baffles my mind that I literally worked for a guy. He's like, "Hey, I have an idea for a little green alien." I'm like, "Really, a, a little green man?" It's a cliche. <laughs> Come yeah. on, yeah. we can do better. And every time I pushed him, <laughs> he was like, you "No, can I do that. Make Star Wars just got to make something and you fifteen can do percent that better." If you can so. find a new twist for it. Yeah, right. Fifteen percent better to do with it. Yeah, what what it comes down to, Aaron, and, and I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, you know, I understand what you're saying. The 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 fine artist and all of us who are art creators wants to scream out. You know, do something really cool and different. You know, and everybody has to find their zone. Your zone may be farther farther on the edge and, than other yeah. people's zones, and everybody's zone is valid. That's the thing. Everybody's zone is valid. But dude, you know, if you feel it that strong, do it. Just do, yeah, do the yeah, crazy. Yeah. Go, yeah. go for it. Well, when, when I Scott also looked up my Godlings comic to see if anybody's ever written anything like this. And as far as I know, no. Hmm. Exactly. Even my kid's book is about an alien wildlife photographer. 
I looked that up. Has anyone done that? No one has ever thought of that. <laughs> See, that's cool. awesome. Dude, no that's one's awesome. ever thought of that. If I had people going to originality, I'm like, really, if my thing is original, that's a sad commentary on the kids' book. Yeah. You're, you're in the right place, though, Aaron. Yeah. You're in the right place because yeah. here we are, and it's wide open. There's no, as far as I know, Roland's right there. Hi, Roland. Yeah. Roland's not going to look over your shoulder and go, oh, he's back. you've no, got no. to do the corporate style. You've got to do this. And no, so you, no, he's not. Right and this is why, why I like Silverline. Just... It's just frustrating to see like another Kickstarter. It's like, hey, I have another superhero story. I'm like, ah. Uh. That's okay, man. Hey, you know what? We love all our brethren, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's what they want to do. Let them, you know, that's what they want to do. I that's don't a feel, good point, because um, when Scott and I, we uh, went on that Founders of the Day uh, podcast YouTube channel when we were pushing, pushing Steam Patriots for the Kickstarter in Divinity, and the, and the guy who ran it was like, you know what, years ago I had an idea for a steampunk American Revolution, but I said, nah, that'll never sell. <laughs> and then we did pretty good numbers. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, we did all right. But that's, the thing is that I don't, I don't really care if other people do superhero books. If, if their vision is just another oh look it's he's got the powers of an owl it doesn't yeah. uh, it, it it it's not something that interests me but it doesn't make me upset or angry that's the way that's the way they perceive it and that's what they want to do and so the fact that they can do it and they have the opportunity to do it or they create the opportunity to do it that's it's all good it just doesn't yeah. it doesn't necessarily interest me to see yet another superhero book i'd rather see something different but you know yeah, to each his own, I guess. To each is what his own, saying, right? Yeah. To each his own. Because if you I, want something different, bad enough, you make it yourself. Yes, right. exactly. That's, that's kind of what Aaron does too, though. I mean, you know, exactly. He's our that's, resident I, uh, challenger. For once, I really spoiler. agree with Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Oh man, uh, yeah. It's no, a sign I, of the apocalypse. I no. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right? Because well, the thing is, I, I think if you look, if you look at the the silver line message, in, in, at least as I see it, as an outsider. It's that Roland doesn't see these books at another company, and so he made his own. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. and so that's yeah. that's the reflection of Roland. Yeah. If if yeah. if I don't like what's going on in the superhero comic book industry, I have opportunities to do something completely different, create my own company, hire well, my own friends, well, I just wish put out my own stuff. Overshadow so many other things. This is why it our... always annoys me because it overshadows so many other things. Our, our, one of our taglines. So, yeah. Our description is a multi-genre spanning company. Genre spanning. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whatever. Because if you, if you, <laughs> I like that. You... That's cool. I like that. Dean, Dean, I've got, you were. Dean, I've got a question for Tom. If uh, if you have time to let me. Please ask do. You. Please. Okay. Yes. Yes. All right, Tom. I'm gonna put you on the spot here. So. Oh, please. Uh, Go ahead. And, and, and I know. <laughs> I know that you. You bring it. You, you're not intimately familiar with everything, but if you were from 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 the Tom Mason perspective, looking in at Silverline, what do you think? There are two two questions. What do you think is the thing that we're doing right, right, okay. uh, or on the path to rightness? And what is the thing you think they're, we're doing wrong? Maybe not doing wrong. What do you think the thing is that uh, we should work needs on? Needs right? improvement. Okay. Needs improvement. What are we doing right? What needs improvement? <laughs> so there's, there's, I never look at a publisher and say, oh, they're wrong. Except right. for, except for the new, except for when somebody comes out and says, we've got financing and we're going to start a new superhero universe. Because that's, <laughs> that is, I think, a dead end. And so, uh, so I say where you're, 
you want to hear the right part first or you want to yes. hear the better part first? Uh, right, let's we'll do the, the right part because you'll probably be shorter on that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think the right part is that Silverline is a reflection of Roland. And so and I, we, I talked about this like it seems like three days ago. Yeah. Um, but it's <laughs> when you meet Roland, when you meet you and you shake your hand and you see you at a convention or whatever, your books reflect that personality. And so I think you as the spokesman, like if you suddenly hire a person to be your convention person and nobody ever sees you again, that's detrimental to your, to your, mm. to your brand. You are the brand. And so you, you owe it to the business and you owe it to the creators who sign with you to front the company, go to the conventions, go on the podcast, uh, be that folksy Andy Griffith guy that people relate to. I'm not saying that in a negative way. I don't know. You've got to be, because you're not, you know, whenever I talk to you, you're not a corporate guy. Right. You're not, you're not a hardcore suit and tie, you know, person like that. And so I think that's, that's to your benefit. And I think the thing that you do is that you have the, your plan is, is a slow rollout. Mm. Every book has to make money. Every book has to fit the thing that you want to publish. And because I think what you can say about the Silverline books is these are the books that Roland likes. These are the yeah. things that he wants to publish. <laughs> yeah. And so that's, I don't see you publishing a book that you don't like. No, that wouldn't be Roland. Nope. So there. That's the good part. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What's the bad part? Yeah. Lay it on thick. Yeah. The bad part is I just think you need to have a way to expand your media presence. Yeah. And yep. I think, and I don't know, we can talk about this offline if you want at some point, but you got to get your books in front of uh, movie and TV producers. You got to get some kind of national, and I say these things like they're easy. But of course, right. you know, I'm not. You know, just do it, Roland. Yeah, just do it. Just make a musical. What's wrong with you? Come on, man. Come on. Get off your, get off your lazy silver line. What time is it on the West Coast? Oh, you need right. chords. No, but I think. In Hollywood on the horn. You want, to be, you want to get into that, into the part of that conversation where every time a book comes out, you've got like 30 places in LA to send it to. And every time you've got a list of national reporters who write about comics for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and, you know, the Texas Tribune and whatever, where, you know, they, maybe they never write about it, but you stay on their radar. Right. And that's because that's the thing that always helped Malibu, that always helps everybody else, where you have to get, uh, oh, Hyper Potato thinks you're here calling you a dirty hippie. <laughs> Which I think is as far from what I've called you. Isn't right, yeah. <laughs> and, so, oh my. and so at the I think where you've got to, you know, as you as your company matures and as you get more known, those things will happen, but you want to pay attention to that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well so, cool. I speak for everyone when I say I want to thank Tom for spending time with us tonight and yeah. your tremendous insight uh, <laughs> is very helpful. No, I'm, I'm being serious. I'm not just blowing smoke, man, because right. uh, you did this whole thing and we're, uh, we're in the hey. process of, of doing this. Yeah. 
but uh, thanks again for being with us tonight. And, hey, thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, and uh, hopefully you'll come back and, and discuss uh, discuss more. Well, Roland us. just has to lie to me and tell me it's uh, you know it's it's <laughs> only going to be a the hell out of something. <laughs> it's only going to be a couple. Well, you know, that's right. Sorry. We're, Since we're I seem to be a, uh, and plagiarists, yeah. so that's, that's what we do. But we always like to close our broadcast by saying. Make mine. Oh, look at you guys. Hey, I'm Alex Savio, and I just want to let you know, make mine Silverline. Thank you for listening to the Silverline Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the episode. We know we ramble sometimes, but we have fun. And after all, isn't that what comics are all about? We hope you'll follow us on all our social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, LinkedIn, Reddit, MeWe, Gab, and whatever new thing pops up between now and the time you listen to us. Please like, follow, share, and remember, make mine Silverline.